Good morning. My name is Stephanie, and I'm going to be reading for you in Galatians 4. If you have your Bibles and want to open up and follow along with me, it will also be on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 21. If you want to um, take a seat, you can, or you can remain seated. Um, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Heavenly Father, we could praise your name, just like that we were just singing. We could praise your name forevermore, for endless days. No joke. You, your name is the name above all names. That, that song says it all. We love it. We want to hear about it this morning. We want to sing about who you are and what your son has done for us. I pray that we would see the gospel, that we would see you in a new light this morning and that lives change like, like we want to see every week, that lives would change, that, that hearts would soften, they would submit their lives to you. I pray that, that this message, your message would flow through me this morning and that people would love it and people would come to know you. I pray this in your great name. Amen. Good morning. How the heck is everybody? Good to see you. This is week 11 now, I think. I think I'm losing track. In, uh, in Church in the Barn. So thank you for coming out. Thank you for checking us out if this is your first time. I was just watching a preseason football game last night. I was watching the Seahawks play, and I loved it. I'm like, ah, oh, the Seahawks are back. And then I instantly thought, oh, no, that means the fall is coming. I feel like we just started this thing. June 6th is when we started. It seems like just the other day. And I'm kind of, I mean, I'm glad for people in, in ag, the rain will be helpful. The rain will be helpful for the fires too. We need that desperately. But man, I want to like bottle this up and I want to, I want to keep it. I want to save it for a while. You should know though, that this is just the beginning of this church, Outward Silverton. We're going to find a place October 1st. We, we need to be doing something else. We're in talks with some other locations around. The Gallon House is one. Maybe hitting them up, see if we can meet in their, uh, in their place, in their location. So I, I feel like we're just, we're just getting started. We're just rallying the troops for the future. I hope you feel the excitement. I hope you're excited. I hope you've enjoyed it if you've been with us any amount of time. 
We're in Galatians. We've been going through Galatians for 11 weeks now. We're, at the, we're finishing chapter 4 of Galatians. We've got two more chapters to go. If you're not familiar with Galatians, the quick summary is Paul was in Galatia, which is now Turkey. Uh, originally, he preached the gospel to, to a bunch of people. They, they received it. They had their lives changed. Amazing things happened. And then the apostle Paul leaves to go plant another church, and he leaves the Galatian church in the hands of some Jewish leaders. The problem is, after he left, he found out that they're jacking up the gospel. The Jewish leaders are now preaching that, yes, Jesus is awesome. You should believe in Jesus. You should believe in the gospel. But you should also follow all these Jewish laws. You, you must follow these laws to be loved by God. And that, a little bit like um, moralism today. You got you to be really moral. Jesus is great, but you got to be really moral too. And so Paul writes this letter to them, and he's, he's correcting them. He's saying, you guys are messing it up. Knock it off. And he calls them fools. Uh, and, he, and he really lets them have it through this whole book. And Paul is going to continue to do that in this section. Okay, he's going to use a story from the Old Testament, something the people that he's writing the letter to would be very familiar with, the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. He's going to use this to make his point. And his point in this section is, is this, the essence of what he's saying it's the barren that receive the blessing. That's the thesis, okay? It's the bearing, the bearing? It's the barren that get the blessing. See, the strong, the, the, the able, the mighty, the beautiful, the fertile, those people are too busy relying on themselves to need God, okay? They, they don't need God. But the weak, the destitute, the depressed, the people in despair, those people know their need for God, and God loves to use them to bring his blessing. Those are the barren, okay? The barren are the ones that get the blessing. Now, this section is kind of technical. It's not really easily understood. I don't know if you heard what Stephanie uh, read earlier, but it's a little difficult. I've read it maybe 20 times We'll see if we can figure it out by the end of this, okay? So we're, we're not going to get super technical, and I'm not going to explain every single detail. I think you guys would kill me if I did that. John Stott is one of the commentators I read and studying for this passage, and he says it's the most difficult passage of Galatians, this one that we're, that we're going through. So we got that to look forward to, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to try to make this simple because I'm simple uh, I hope it's not too simple for you, but I, I'm gonna try to make this simple. I told you the thesis. It's the baron that received the blessing. The way that, that, that we're gonna make this point today, we're obviously gonna use scripture. We're gonna use what Paul has to say. But my points, our points that we're gonna go through today are, are a little unconventional, okay? The first point is gonna be, we're gonna look at a love triangle, a full-on soap opera love triangle, okay? Just like days of our lives, you guys remember Days of Our Lives? Is that show still on? Does anybody know? I, I mean, nobody will admit to it, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> watching that. I remember that I've probably watched a, a total of two minutes of Days of Our Lives in, in my life. I think when I was skipping school or staying home from school, it's the only thing that's on during the day are soap operas. I just remember the intro. You guys remember the intro? It was like, as sand passes through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. This super intense intro, and then bam, the bad acting would ensue, you know? Like the weird camera angles, it was, I couldn't figure out, what, why does it look so funny? Why is the acting so bad? 
Okay, that's you know, get back to our sermon here. That's the first point. Soap opera love triangle is the first point. The second one is a left hook. Okay, Paul, Paul delivers like, boom, a left hook to the Jewish leaders. They didn't see it coming. It's, it's quick, you know, it's just bam. He, he, he throws, he hurls this insult at them and it stings. Okay, and I'll, and I'll explain that in a little bit. So we have a love triangle, we have a left hook, and then uh, the next point are, or is pants. Okay, like khakis and skinny jeans. We're going to use pants. I know it sounds crazy. And it is. It's, it's crazy. Um, if you're wearing khakis, uh, you come see me afterwards. I will apologize. Okay? You, you will be offended. Khakis are, are not the positive thing in this, in this illustration that we're going to use. And then we're going to end with the gospel, okay? Like we always do. We're going to end big with the, with the best news of all time, the, the, the blessing that is bestowed on the entire world through Jesus and his death on the cross. And I hope it's going to be awesome, and I hope you... Love it. All right, so let's get started. We, I just took way too long to get, us, to get us going. Let's start in verse 22, and we're going to take a look at what Paul has for us. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Everybody get that? Everybody good? Should we move on? Let me, uh, let me explain a little bit to try to help us understand this. We got to know that the, he just introduced some characters here in, in the story. We got Abraham, okay, first and foremost. Father Abraham, who had many sons. Many sons. We went to Sunday school. You remember this. It's all I remember of Sunday school was that one song, I think. We're going to hear about two of Abraham's sons. Actually, we're going to hear about a bunch of them. But Abraham uh, is, is one of the characters. Okay, we, we mentioned Abraham a few weeks ago. Paul brought Abraham up earlier. So let me just reintroduce Abraham. Abraham was chosen by God to be the father of the Jews. Um, to, to, he brought them into the promised land. Okay, Abraham. And Abraham... Is, is kind of sad and depressed, Abraham and Sarah, because they don't have an heir. They don't have a son to leave the promised land to. And, and he's telling God this. He's praying to God and telling him, I don't have my own son. They're barren. Sarah is barren. So God makes a promise. God says, I will give you a son. And through that heir, through that son, you will have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. And through that line, through those descendants, will come the salvation of the world. And your name will be great, Abraham. 4,000 years later, that's us. We're still going to be talking about Abraham. <laughs> okay, that's the promise that God, that God tells Abraham. So that's where we pick up the story. God makes the promise. Then what happens? Abraham believes God, and it is counted to him as righteousness. Ten years later, they still don't have the son. They're still waiting for the son, and they're getting a little bit impatient. Hey, God, you promised me that I would have a son. Where is my son? And Sarah, Abraham's wife, this is the next character, Abraham's wife, Sarah, suggests to Abraham, hey, why don't you sleep with my maidservant? Why don't you sleep with, it's, it's actually a, a slave. I mean, is also, she's also referred to as a slave. So they decide, they're getting impatient. They decide 
to, to do this, Abraham sleeps with Hagar. You see, we're starting to make the love triangle here. He sleeps with Hagar. Hagar conceives, okay, and bears a child. They, they do this the old-fashioned way. She conceives because she's young, she's able, and she's fertile, okay? They took uh, matters into their own hands, and they decided to have a son outside of God's will. And in true soap opera form, Sarah instantly gets upset. Sarah gets jealous. Sarah gets angry. No, no surprise. Okay? Let me read what Keller, Tim Keller, um, wrote a book, uh, Galatians for You. We've encouraged people to buy that, to go through that as we're preaching through it. He's got great information on this section. If you hear anything wise or really good, it probably came from Keller that I'm, that I'm going to say. But I'm going to quote him a few times. His, this is what he says in his book. Abraham was promised an heir, but he couldn't wait any longer. By sleeping with Hagar, Abraham was choosing to rely on his own capabilities. He was opting to work and gain his son. He was acting in faith, but the faith he had was in himself as his own savior. Abraham would eventually figure it out. He would eventually figure out that that he should stop relying on his own efforts and he should start relying on God. And 14 years after that, Sarah conceives. Sarah has a baby. So Sarah now is 90. Abraham is 99. This is not not a work of the flesh. This is a miracle, okay? We're going to contrast Hagar and Sarah. Hagar is the old-fashioned way. Sarah's conceiving at 90, like... She's watching the clock like, the clock is ticking, God. I think the clock has stopped ticking. Somehow, God, through his supernatural intervention, through an act of God, he, he blesses them, and she conceives. She bears a child. The child's name is Isaac. Hagar had Ishmael. Sarah has Isaac. And so Sarah is the example, okay, that we're looking at of, of the barren, all right? The barren comes to, excuse me, the blessing comes to the barren, or the barren received the blessing was our original statement. Sarah is the example of that. Hagar is the example of the opposite of, of taking matters into our own hands. I got a little slide. We put that little slide up with the, with the bullet points on it. We're going to try to use this to help us keep this straight because there's, there's a lot going on. It's hard to see. Um, now it's really hard to see. I can't even see it at all. So sit, okay, so we can talk through this and and it'll get up in a second. So we've got Abraham at the top. We got Hagar and Sarah down below. Sarah is uh, the example of of, uh, the free woman. Um, She had Isaac. She was born through the promise. Don't worry about the rest of the stuff. We'll get there in a minute. And then contrast that with Hagar. She's the example of, she was the example of the slave woman. You guys messing with me? Brian, is this you? I'm going to have to ask you to leave. <laughs> Look, he's leaving. <laughs> he doesn't want to be blamed. Okay, Hagar is the example of the slave woman. She, she had Ishmael, and she was born according to the flesh. Okay, just, let's just keep that straight. Again, forget the rest of that stuff for now. We'll, I'll get to the other stuff. 
Let's keep reading in Galatians. We're going we're gonna to fill out this love triangle a little, a little bit more. Actually, my brother, by the way, Matt, who's preached up here occasionally, he's preaching in Salem. We talked about this, and he told me he was going to make an incredible slide uh, for me, and then he gave me this. And I was like, these are just bullet points, you know? <laughs> this is the slide, not even like a triangle like, like we talked about. <laughs> Matt's, yeah, I don't think he's great with Photoshop. He's better with a chalk line. We could have done a chalk line. He's an ex-contractor. Anyway, I did appreciate him putting this up for us. Okay, uh, if you can, put up verse 24 or look in your Bibles at verse 24. We're going to keep reading. This is the left hook, okay? This is, I told you, you got a love triangle, then we got the left hook that Paul is going to throw. Here it comes. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. Don't worry about that for a second. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Verse 25, here it comes. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. Oh, man. Did you catch that? No? Nobody? I, I, didn't, I didn't either. I, it, it took me a while, and I, somebody had to explain it to me. before. That was a huge insult. We'll get to that in a second. For she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Paul just offended the Jews, the, the Jewish leaders, really bad. Okay. Uh, Mount Sinai of Arabia. He's alluding to the fact that it's generally understood that Hagar is the mother of the Arabs. Hagar, I read this this week, Hagar and Ishmael, that line would eventually produce the prophet of Islam, Muhammad, okay? So these are the arch enemies of the Jews, the Arabs. It was so bad that it's still, they're still fighting. Do you watch the news? Do you see the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? That's still the, the, the two enemies duking it out to this day. Paul just aligned the Jews with Hagar. He said, you may be a descendant, you may be racially, you may have come from Abraham and Sarah, but really in your hearts, in your souls, you align more with the Arabs. It's crazy. I feel like if Paul were here today, he, he could walk up to a, a practicing Jew in Israel. He could say the same thing. I know you think you're, you're a product of Abraham and Sarah. You, you're descended from them, but really you're like the Palestinians. You're like, the, like Hamas. Hamas is the one, they lob over a few rockets, like a few thousand rockets over to Israel, and then Israel just pounds on Palestine for a couple weeks, like we just saw. That was less than a few weeks ago, I think, the, the latest conflict. It's still raging, and Paul, this is his left hook. He's saying you're more aligned with your arch enemies, with the people you despise. You're, you're, still in, you're more like enslaved, like Hagar, than you are free, like Sarah. I was trying to think what, would be uh, something that we could look at like in today's world to help us relate to this. It would be like going up to a Republican, somebody that was really fired up about being a Republican and saying, I know you're, you voted Republican. I know you think you're Republican, but the way you act, you act more like a Democrat. You're like, oh, I'm so offended. I don't think that does it justice, though. I think you got to go further. You got to go more extreme. It'd be like going to a proud boy and saying, I know you go to the rallies and uh, do they wear the, uh, I don't know, they wear the uh, Hawaiian shirts or something. I know you're dressing like a proud boy, but you're acting more like Antifa. 
Like, oh, man, how offended would a proud boy be if you said that? I think that's the level of offense. That's the level of insult that Paul is making to the Jews, just to try to make that point super clear. Let's read another quote from Keller. Though the false teachers proudly consider themselves related to Abraham by Sarah and Isaac, Paul says that they are spiritually descended from the slave woman, the Gentile, the outcast. Their heart and approach to God is like Abraham with Hagar, and the fruit in their lives is like Ishmael, just more slavery. Though racially they are from Sarah and their soul and heart, they are like the people they despise. Paul is saying, listen, the moment you believed in Christ, when I was there with you originally, the moment you believed, you became an heir of Abraham and Sarah. You became an heir to the promises of God. But the moment that you start believing that it's your efforts, it's your works that earns God's favor, you cease being children of Abraham and Sarah and you start being children of Hagar. You were enslaved by that. Let's look at this slide. Let's, let's, let's look at the rest of the slide when you get a second. Whenever, <laughs> Look at that. Uh, and let's just fill this out. Okay, so the present Jerusalem, Paul was saying, uh, the present Jerusalem, ah, let me just read it real quick. I'm going to mess this up. She corresponds, um, Hagar corresponds to the present Jerusalem. That was the Jews of the day. That's how, that's how he's relating this to, uh, to Hagar. Um, that's in contrast, it, he says, to the Jerusalem above. That's the heavenly Jerusalem. That's the real heaven, okay? Uh, Hagar, then, if you, if you relate to Hagar, there is no inheritance. There is no, you, like, like Abraham's descendants were the heir of the promises of God, we receive an inheritance. It's Christ's righteousness when we believe in Christ. There is no inheritance um, if we are Hagar's. Okay, she is saved by her own works. In Sarah's case, she is saved by grace. And in Hagar's uh, situation, if we're like Hagar, it's more like rule-following religion. Uh, we're, we're, we're using our own ability to try to get to God. And in Sarah's case, it's an example of the gospel, the real example of the gospel. So let's talk about the allegory for a second. It said he's speaking allegorically. That means he's not speaking literally necessarily. He's speaking figuratively. Although you should read Genesis. This is where the story of Abraham comes from. You should read it historically, and you should try to see what, what's being applied about Jesus because the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus and to the gospel. It's literal. It's historical. Paul's not using it this way. He's using it figuratively. There's two ways to relate to Abraham. There's two ways to relate to God. But most of us are, are not as familiar with the Old Testament as maybe some of the people were that Paul was talking to. So let's update the illustration, shall we? And let's expand on it a little bit. This actually comes from Keller. He says there's, there's more than two ways now to relate to Abraham. It's not just Hagar and Sarah. There's actually three ways you can relate to Hagar and just one way to relate to Sarah. Okay, so here's my illustration. You guys ready? Four guys walk into a bar. Okay, but you didn't think I was gonna say that. Four guys walk into the bar. The first guy walks in and he's got khakis on. Okay, not just khakis though. He has got pleated 
He has got pressed, and he has got heavy starch on these khakis. You can hear this guy before you see him. You know, it's like... Someone told him you got to dress for success, and he is owning it. He says, man, if khakis are good, then I'm going to get them dry clean. I'm going to get heavy starts in these bad boys. And he thinks he's amazing. That's the first guy. <laughs> Second guy walks into the bar. He's also wearing khakis. Unfortunately, his khakis don't look as good. Okay, he just pulled his khakis out of the dryer. He left them in a heap for a while, you know. And then he'd go into the bar, so he's like, oh, shoot, I don't have time to press these. So he just pulls them on. They're all, sta- they're all uh, wrinkled. Then he goes on his way to the bar. He stops and get a sandwich. He spills mustard all over his khakis. So he walks into the bar with wrinkled and stained khakis, and he looks ridiculous, and he feels ridiculous. He's ashamed of his khakis. We have a picture of him. <laughs> Oh, no, you can't see it that well. This is is better if we can figure out the screens. There it is, yeah. A little bit like, I think that's Paul Blart, mall cop guy. I don't think they're stained, though. You can see them there. (laughs) Someone wrinkled. The fanny pack is not part of the illustration, but it's just a bonus, okay, for this guy. Okay, so wrinkled and stained khaki guy, he's ashamed he heard you got to dress for success. He's really trying. He just can't pull it off. Okay, so that's two. That's two. The third guy walks into the bar, and he has got the tightest pair of skinny jeans on you have ever seen. Okay, I don't know if he got these from his little sister or he bought them from the Out of Bounds collection. I don't know why he's got such such tight skinny jeans on. Like he walks like a penguin because they're, they're too tight. He can't bend his... He can't bend his knees. He heard you have to dress for success, and he says, I'm not doing that. I'm doing my own thing. I'm going my own way. He's kind of a, you know, a free spirit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dress my own style. I'm going to choose my own style. Now, fortunately, he chose poorly. <laughs> and then we have a fourth guy. Fourth guy walks into a bar, okay? He walks in like this. Really normal, Okay. <laughs> That was my impersonation of a normal walk. (laughs) This is the awesome guy, okay? This guy has the most incredibly comfortable pair of work jeans. Just work jeans. They've been broken in for a couple of years. Yeah, we can clap for work jeans. I was going to wear my work jeans to help the, the illustration, but I blew out the, the bottoms, which happens sometimes in, in work jeans. Uh, so I wasn't able, to, wasn't able to do that. He's got an incredible pair of work jeans. They got a few spots on them, you know. He's got a little paint over here from this project, a little oil stain over here. He caught the fence on the back, and that's got a little tear on it. They're faded, but they're comfortable. He heard you got to dress for success, so he put pants on. Right? At least he's wearing pants. But he's not trying to prove anything. He's not trying to impress anybody with his pants. Guess who this is the example of? This is the example of the Christian who relates to Sarah and the pressed and pleated khaki guy. He's an example of a Hagar. Okay? He's an example of the religious one, of the one that, that obeys the rules and relies on the rules. And, and, and he's pulling it off. So he's self righteous, he's smug, and he's arrogant. 
And then the wrinkled and the stained khaki guy, that's an example of somebody who's trying to rely on the rules. They're trying to obey the rules, but they stink at obeying the rules. They can't pull it off. So they're guilty. They're ashamed. And they feel terrible about it. That's another way to relate to Hagar. And then the third one, the skinny jeans. This is the free spirit. This is the intellectually secular guy. They say, forget God. I'm not following those rules. I'm going my own way. I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to be my truth, which is total garbage. It's not a good idea. Okay. They're also self-righteous, but it's not quite so obvious, is it? They look down their nose at anybody that tries to follow the rules. And then the Christian is humble. Okay. They're, they're, but they're confident. They're not trying to prove anything. They know what they've been saved from. They know that they don't have a righteousness of their own. Their righteousness comes from Christ, from his death on the cross. And they obey the rules. They're wearing pants. They obey the rules, but not because they're relying on the rules, not because they're trying to prove their own righteousness, but because they just have gratitude for the cross and they want to submit their lives to Christ. That makes sense? (laughs) The long illustration for that. Here's the goal. The goal is that we ditch the khakis and the skinny jeans and we put on a pair of comfortable work jeans, right? What's the reality? We look ridiculous. <laughs> we are wearing khakis and skinny jeans. We, we're, tr- we're, trying, we're trying to be Christians, but what do we know? What have we been talking about for the last 11 weeks? We are sinful, to the core, this is who we are. We are just born this way. We inherited this from Adam and Eve. They started it, and we're continuing it. We are sinful. We're always trying to prove our value through uh, some other means apart from God. We are trying to prove our own righteousness. We're trying to create our own self-righteousness. We do that internally because that's who we are, but we do that because it's all around us. Everybody, it seems, is an evangelist for the world, for the elementary principles of the world. That's what's on Instagram when you, or, or Facebook or social media or whatever. That's all you see is like you have value if you're strong. You have value if you got perfect kids. You have value if you're wealthy. You have value if you're comfortable. And so we, we, we get lured into this. It's It's awful. Okay, it's jacked up and it's the opposite of what we should be doing. The gospel is the reverse of this. We don't have value because of the elementary principles of the world. We don't, we don't create value uh, through our own efforts, through our own righteousness. The gospel says we are valued because we are barren, barren emotionally, barren morally. We are barren spiritually. We are barren sometimes financially. And it's the barren that receive the blessing. Let me keep reading in, in, uh, in Galatians. So Paul starts quoting Isaiah. He says, rejoice, O barren ones, Who does not bear? Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. What's happening here with Isaiah? So we have Paul looking back to Abraham, trying to help us understand what's going on, trying to help the Jews understand the the errors of their waves. And now he's looking back at Isaiah. So Paul was in the 50s, like not 1950s, but the 50s. Just five zeros. 
you know? So Paul's in the 50s. He's looking back at Isaiah, who I think was around the 600 BC time, okay? And Isaiah is talking about the barren. Isaiah is alluding to Hagar and Sarah and Abraham and that story. So what was happening, happening in Isaiah? The Jews were in exile. They were being taken over by Babylon. And the Jewish people are miserable. They are destitute. They are in despair. They are depressed because they don't think they're going to have a nation of their own ever again. And Isaiah tries to comfort them using the story of Sarah, saying, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud. I want to keep reading it. Paul stops at verse 2. I'm going to start at verse 4. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For the maker, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. Sarah is being used as an encouragement to help the people who are in despair. Sarah, oh my gosh, back in her day, how much value was put on the ability to have children. It was so important. She must have been crushed by this. That stigma still exists today, doesn't it? Oh my gosh, how stinking sad is it for somebody who just wants to have a baby, who somebody just wants to be a mom and can't. It's devastating. My wife has uh, volunteered at, at, at Hope Pregnancy Center and, and, and told me just um, anonymously just about people that come in who are on their third, their fourth, their fifth child. They're having kids. They don't even know what to do with them, right? They're trying to make, and Hope is trying to help them make good decisions, not to abort them, but to, to keep them or, to, or, or to, to adopt them. You contrast that, these people that have babies with three, four, and five different dads with the people in our church or in the people in the world that just want to have one child. They just want to be that, that mom to this kid. Like, oh my gosh, it's devastating. It's so devastating. The barren, though, are the ones that receive the blessing, okay? That's who God loves. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Remember that? It's the barren. The Bible teaches we can no more make children our salvation. We can no more make children the meaning of our life than we can make success or money or approval of other people or acceptance, or comfort, or our own righteousness. We can't make our own good deeds the salvation of our lives. If we do, if we, if we try to focus on those things, we think these things will give me value, these things will, these things will, make me, will give me a better self-worth, we will end up in slavery like Hagar. Just like, just like the slide. We will end up... S- Descendants of a slave woman. So what's the solution? Where do we go from here? Through Sarah would come another son. Another unlikely birth. Right? That would take a supernatural act of God to pull off. Mary, although not barren... She's a virgin and pretty unlikely to have a child as a virgin. God 
would intervene and God would, uh, would help her get pregnant. And she would bear a child, the name above all names, Jesus Christ, the one that would be used to bless the entire world. How do we take advantage of that blessing? How do, we, how do we align ourselves with Sarah and not with Hagar? How do we become heirs of the promises of God? Listen, you got to acknowledge that you're barren. And then you got to believe the promises of God, just like Abraham. Okay? Abraham and Sarah were, were barren. God made a promise to them. You will not be barren anymore. I will give you a child. They believed God. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. And then God fulfilled the promise and he brought the blessing. Barren promise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confuse it. Barren promise, belief, and blessing. But listen, even that is too complicated for me. I told you I'm simple. So let's go to Mark 1.15. It's Jesus. These are red letters now. He'll simplify it for us. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's it. What do we repent over? Why are we repenting? Repenting helps acknowledge that we are barren. We repent of the ways that we are trying to earn our own salvation through our own good deeds. But that's not all (laughs) we repent of. there's, There's more. We repent of the ways that we are Ishmael's persecuting Isaacs. It's kind of confusing, right? Like, which one was Isaac? Which one was Ishmael? We repent of the ways that we are pressed in the pleated khakis, persecuting the comfortable jeans people. We repent of the ways that we are religious people, persecuting Christians who are free. Think, what? What? We're not, we're Christians. We're not persecuting anybody. We know the gospel. We know that. It's not what Paul says. Paul says in verse 29, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. It was true back then. The religious people were persecuting the free Christians. It's still true. Like how? How could that be? The gospel it turns out, is most offensive to religious people. The religious people are trying to earn their own salvation. They work, they toil, they suffer. What does the gospel say about that work and that suffering? It says it's useless to save you. Like, it doesn't help you, your work. That doesn't save you. And so what do the religious people do? They see the guy in the comfortable work jeans and they're saying, hey, man, You should be working. You should be toiling. You should be suffering like me. Look at all the work that I'm doing. I'm amazing. Get your act together. Iron your pants. You look ridiculous. We get hostile to the people that are free, that are comfortable, that are just relying on Jesus' death on the cross for their righteousness. We get hostile and we persecute them. Okay? We need to repent of the ways that we try to earn God's favor. We need to repent of the ways that we persecute people who are not trying to earn God's favor. And then we need to believe. Abraham believed and it was counted as righteousness to him. I made this point a couple of weeks ago, like four weeks ago. I'm going to make it again because I loved it so much. 
Why does God want our belief so much? Why does it matter so much that we believe? Martin Luther says belief is the highest form of worship, okay? Obedience is cool. That is a way to worship someone, but belief and trust in someone is better. It's the highest form of worship. You think how this, how this might work. If somebody you tell somebody to do something and they're like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not familiar with that, but I believe you. I trust you. Oh, it's so honoring. When a client says that well, to me, like, oh, I don't know. I'm a financial advisor, by the way. Uh, I don't know about investments. I don't know about this financial stuff, Tim, but I know you do. Whatever you say, I'll do it. It's like, wow, seriously? Like, what an honor. If your kid said that to you, you say, hey, go do this. And they say, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, Dad, but I believe you. I'll trust you. I'll go do this because you know what's best. I still haven't heard that. <laughs> Buddy. But somebody somewhere probably has, right? Anyone? <laughs> Bueller? <laughs> when we work, when we toil, when we suffer to try to earn God's favor, that doesn't honor God, that actually dishonors God. And why would that dishonor God? Because you're making him out to be a slave driver. That's not who he is. He's merciful. He's kind. He's loving. He loves the, the meek, the lonely, the desperate, the sad. That's not the way to honor God. We honor God through our belief. We say, I don't understand, God. I don't understand these promises that you're making. I don't understand how I can receive forgiveness through, through the death of your son on the cross. But I believe it honors God so much that he counts it as righteousness. Isn't that insane? I'm not making this up like this is crazy stuff. Did you have any idea that your belief mattered so much? I did not. I'm serious. Until I read this Martin Luther quote. Praise God for our belief. If you believe in God, it's a huge deal. We, we, we're going to sing in just a second. We're going to praise God again for, for the belief that we have in him. That's a miracle. That's a supernatural act of God that you would even want to believe. So if you're like, I don't, I'm not sure if I believe, but I want to believe, that means God is in there softening your heart, enabling you to believe. The rest of the world says you shouldn't. The rest of the world says it's all about you. The rest of the world says you got to be strong. You got to be mighty. It's got to be about your efforts that's how you prove your value it's garbage ah this is the gospel okay the gospel is for the barren acknowledge that you are barren because it's the barren that receive the blessing the way we do that is to repent and believe and we should do that right now let's invite the, the band forward let's invite let's do communion now we missed communion last week because we didn't snag the cups, so we got, maybe you should grab two. We got a lot to repent of. We got two weeks worth of stuff. <laughs> we'll give, uh, give the guys a minute to get up here, and then we'll have, you, we'll have you stand up and go ahead and grab them. As soon as you see them, just jump up and go back to your seats, and we'll talk you through communion here.
as you uh, as you head back to your seats, I just bow your heads. They're uh, they're right at your seat, and let's think through the implications of what we of what we just heard through through Paul and the Galatians. Think through the some of these questions. Actually, some of these questions came from Keller's book, just to be clear. Um, but he asked some good ones. Do you see yourself as barren like Sarah? Do you recognize, do you acknowledge that you are barren? Another way to ask that is do you see your need for God? Are you like the pressed and pleaded religious people? Self-righteous and smug at times. Doesn't necessarily mean you're always like that, but... Have you acted like that? I, if you don't, if you can't answer that honestly, I don't think you're, you're, uh, you're, you're paying attention closely enough. How are you relying on the rules to justify yourself? Are we hostile to the message of grace to other people that aren't pulling their weight? tell you that I, I do this. I have done this. It's, it's awful, and I'm not proud of it, but it gives me something to repent of. Do you know your best efforts are useless to save you? They, they can't save you. It's only Jesus, right? It's just Jesus. Think through that stuff, and then we, and then we stop thinking about the bad news, right? This is what communion is. We think about the sin in our life, how we've, how we've messed things up, and we start thinking about the promises of God. We start thinking about Jesus, okay? We think about what, what did He do? He gave His body for us. That sin is gone and his body was broken for that. Let's take the body and let's do this in remembrance of him. Our debts have been paid. The, the, the ways that we've messed things up, the, the barren, the morally barren parts of our life like has been paid for by Jesus' body and they were paid for by his shed blood. Take his blood and do this in remembrance of him. Father, we love you. We love the story. I could, man, I could, I could talk about this till I'm blue in the face. I pray that people would, would understand their need for you. They would understand that they are barren just like Sarah was barren. Okay, they would understand that they were that they are barren, but we wouldn't stay ashamed and guilty, we would then move on and we would see your death, your son's death on the cross and what that means. We can understand that we're free from that. We are free. We are heirs to the promises of God. Our salvation is through the cross. I pray that the fruits of the Spirit, which we're going to hear about coming up, love, joy, peace, all that would come as a result of that. And now we celebrate together. We love you. And we uh, pray this in your name. Listen, let's, uh, let's all stand up and let's worship. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate the cross.